<laughs> just okay. Just cut that part out. It's my fucking story, bro. <laughs> All right, cut that part out. That it'll make a nice little uh, outtake. That I'll won't upload for three weeks. Right. Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals. Hello. We're on episode 25. Are we? Yeah. Wow. It's a I quarter know. of a hundred. Look at us like, trucking right along. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot. Like, we provide our listeners with more than one full day's worth of entertainment. <laughs> Look at us. I know. You're welcome. Not, not including bonus episodes. And not including bonus Patreon content and spoiler casts that are free. Look at me pat myself on the back. You're like, you're like, you're not including everything. I'm really amazing. All right. Uh, a couple news stories or news tidbits. So that the show, The Toys That Made Us, mm-hmm. apparently it's going to get another season and they're going to do the Ninja Turtles, which is exciting. That is exciting. That is our least popular episode on our podcast it's got a shitty title it's got a shitty title because sean was sleeping through the naming process so i just picked something and went with it <laughs> yeah they got a new episode about the ninja turtles which i'm very excited about that is pretty exciting another news tidbit i mentioned an image comic created by robert kirkman who i'll remind you is the creator of the walking dead right we had a whole but he he did a comic called invincible mm-hmm. which is fantastic i highly recommend it Amazon has picked that up now for a cartoon series. It's really exciting that Amazon and Netflix. everybody and Netflix, they're all listening to our podcast. Right. I'm really excited. Yeah. It's awesome. It's great. We've made it, you guys. We made and it. And the Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg movie is supposedly still in development as well. The what? The Seth <laughs> Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, the guys who did Superbad and the huge hit Green Hornet. They, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. They, they're they also working on adapting Invincible, for, but for a film. All so right, that's well, still work going harder because uh, they're licensing the shit out of that, apparently. And then this is something I just wanted to share. This is something, this is kind of a, a thing that Mason, our youngest son, younger son, I guess. Youngest makes it sound like we have more than two. But... But he is the youngest. That's he is the youngest. True. Yeah. He he mentioned this when we were at the grocery store a couple of weeks ago and I was we were in the deli and I don't know what well, I kind of get why he brought this up. But apparently there was some dude, some French guy named Terrar or Terrer. I don't know how to say it. I'm going to call him Terrar, okay. which is probably incorrect. You could all Googled it. I'm, I have it. Oh, the pronunciation. It's worth a Google. I don't really. I don't really care that much. Who cares? So he was a French showman and a soldier. I'm just reading this off of Wikipedia because I just had to, when Mason told me about this guy, I was like, that's not real. That's not a real guy that existed in history. That sounds like bullshit. That sounds like some made up. That sounds like urban legend. Like yeah. High school kids. Or what, what do they call that? Like, uh. The spaghetti pasta. What do they call it? Oh, creepy pasta. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> These pasta. kids in their terms. They, they do call it spaghetti pasta too. Spaghetti I mean, pasta. If you're super redundant. So anyway, he was a French showman and a soldier noted for his unusual eating habits. 
He was able to eat vast amounts of meat. He was constantly hungry. Well, that's why he brought it up in the deli. Right, right. I mean, that ties in a little bit, but yeah. anyway, he was constantly hungry. His parents could not provide for him, and he was turned out of the family home as a teenager. He traveled France in the company of a band of thieves and prostitutes before becoming the warm-up act to a traveling charlatan. He would swallow cork stones, live animals, and a whole basket full of apples. He then took his act to Paris, where he worked as a street performer. Eating? Can you do that? Can you work as a street performer just eating? Because <laughs> yeah, you could. that sounds like my job, my dream job. You could in the 18th century, apparently. Oh, man, that would have been great. So at the start of the War of the First Coalition, Terrar joined the French Revolutionary Army. With military rations unable to satisfy his large appetite, he would eat <laughs> any available food from gutters and refuse heaps, but his condition still deteriorated through hunger. He was hospitalized due to exhaustion and became the subject of a series of medical experiments to test his eating capacity in which, among other things, he ate a meal intended for 15 people in a single sitting. He ate live cats, snakes, lizards, and puppies, and swallowed eels whole without chewing. Despite his unusual diet, <laughs> we, we got to get this on the YouTubes. It is on the YouTubes, but audio only. Yeah. Despite his unusual diet, he was of normal size and appearance and showed no signs of mental illness I'm other sorry. than what was described as an apathetic temperament. I'm sorry, he ate puppies? Puppies! Yeah. Another man's pet is another man's meal. That's not so. a saying. <laughs> That's not a saying. All right. General Alexander de Beauharnais, I don't know how to say that, decided to put Terrar's abilities to military use, where he would eat the enemy. No, that's... I, just meant that. I was like, this, this is taking a turn. <laughs> just unhinge his jaw and go to town. Uh, he was employed as a courier by the French army with the intention that he would swallow documents, pass through enemy lines, and recover them from his stool once safely at his okay. destination. Gross. Gross. <laughs> Whose job was it to recover them from his stool, though? He said he would. Oh. It's, well, it just says, and recover them. I imagine that would be on him. Uh, it would not if you have no problem eating puppies, you have no problem going through your own shit. Well, let me That's tell not you. Really if someone hired me for my eating capacity... My shit is on them, dude. Like, I, <laughs> like you have to go through that on your own. You provide the documents. <laughs> I'll eat them. You get them back. Right. Ugh. Uh, all right. Uh, on his, <laughs> he, he couldn't speak German. And on his first mission was captured by Prussian forces, severely beaten and underwent a mock execution before being returned to French lines. Chastened by this experience, he agreed to submit to any procedure that would cure his appetite and was treated with laudanum, tobacco pills, wine vinegar, and soft-boiled eggs. Procedures failed. And doctors could not keep him on a controlled diet. He was I like that he was treated with soft-boiled eggs. They're like, you know what's disgusting? <laughs> soft-boiled eggs. This will help. You won't have any appetite after you have one of these. Right. He sneak out of the hospital to scavenge for offal in gutters, rubbish heaps, and outside butcher shops. Offal is like just like the leftover stuff when they hack up chickens and animals and stuff. They call it O-F-F-A-L, not A-U-F-U-L. There was, I knew this because when I did. F-U-L. What's that word? A-W? Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I meant. That's what I, <laughs> I, left like... the, I left out the double part. But uh, when I was doing pest control, there was, and I did a, I did pest control at a chicken processing plant. Yes, you did. And there was literally a, a building called the the awful building. <laughs> yeah. You're like this building fucking sucks. And I'm not even going to make the pun, but it was terrible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I feel uh, like if you had done more research on this, it's just... I haven't got to the kicker of this story But yet. you could have just done it as a topic. Yeah, but no. This it's, is just, uh, like bonus mini topic. Right. That's it's all this is. This is bonus material. So he would uh, 
I feel like I have so Scavenged many questions. Scavenged for awful and gutters, rubbish heaps, and outside butcher shops. Attempted to drink the blood of other patients in the hospital but and to eat the corpses in the hospital morgue. After, this is it, this is, this is it. After being suspected of eating a toddler, he was ejected from the hospital. <laughs> and that's what Mason, that was the first thing Mason told me about this guy. They could eat so much that he ate a baby. And of course, <laughs> you, you know, you immediately think of fat bastard. Right. I ate a baby. And I'm like, no, that's not a real dude. He's like, no, he ate. I'm like, and I told Mason, I was like, he was only suspected of it. <laughs> so then we argued so about how fair. you would verify whether somebody ate a child or not, or if it just went. Because back then, you know, they didn't have the. the yeah, kids literally like wandered into the woods and disappeared forever. Well, not only that, time. but just if it was a, a toddler that was admitted to the hospital, they didn't have the security procedures that we have now. Anyone could have just it taken been it kidnapped. Home. It could have left, whatever. So, uh, he, so we were talking about the process of. Of going through his stool looking for baby bones, he's like, "Oh, he he might have chewed up the bones." I'm like, "I was oh. like, oh, you can't do that." Yeah, I was like, "I don't think bone. so. I think you would have found it." So no, the bones would have been left out. You can't eat bone. All right, so he uh, he reappeared four years later. Oh, he got ejected after being suspected of eating a kid. Right, they were like, "You probably ate this baby." <laughs> I think it's funny that they lost a kid and they were like, "That guy did it. He totally <laughs> ate him." Tarar. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> He, re he reappeared four years later. I just I just picture him with like, I don't know, like these little like toddler fingers sticking out of his <laughs> mouth as he's like sucking them down real quick. Like when you find your dog eating table food, he's he, not supposed to. And he clamps to. his jaw down right. and him, like <laughs> frantically eats. <laughs> his little baby toes are sticking out of his mouth. Right. Gross. right. He's just like trying. He's got like his head cocked back as he's trying to get him down his, his gullet as quickly as possible. Ugh. He reappeared four years later in Versailles with a case of severe tuberculosis and died shortly afterwards following a lengthy bout of exudative diarrhea. I, I don't know. I think say that word. Ex, it's almost like executive, but yeah, exudative. Exudative. So I've never heard of that. Tap on that. See I what am that tapping is. on that. Occur exudative diarrhea occurs with the presence of blood and pus in the stool. Okay. It occurs nope. With nope. Inflammatory nope. Never bowel diseases such as Crohn's disease or. Ulcerative colitis. No. He probably just had a tapeworm. Yeah. You know what I mean? He or like a like host he was, of tapeworms. It sounds like he was sick, is all it was. But he probably had tapeworms and, and stuff. And Parasites. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a so fun. He ate a baby. That was a fun little bit I wanted to share. It was great until you were talking about pus in the stool. When I was like, <laughs> all right. Tap, so, tap, tap, I'm yeah, out. Card, Ninja Turtles, Toys That Made Us, Terrar, Invincible, Sean, and Amazon. I don't know if you guys remember episode one. If you haven't listened to it, I don't recommend you do, but... Sean came with no notes. He was just like <laughs> here to chat. He was just he was just along for the ride. Now he brings pre-show notes. He brings his topic. He is like he is in it to win it now. Well, so it, it, it just takes 25 episodes and you get it together. Good job. <laughs> this is not the first episode I've been prepared for. <laughs> I think that has shown for some time now. But yeah, it when started we, with the image comics this is the first show that you were like you blew it out of the water. That was a great topic. Uh, the, the for the first episode, I, I didn't know if it was worth doing. I didn't know if it was going to be a good show. I didn't know if it was worth. But you know, then can't it kind tell of, from one show. It that well, first also the onus garbage. kind of falls on me to make it a good show. You're like, <laughs> so, I didn't know if it was going to be a good show. It's I thought like, I well, would just wing it. I don't know. I didn't know where it was going. It was just an idea I had. I didn't. I didn't know it was actually going to be a thing. <laughs> well, I think we discussed that in one of our previous episodes, where we were literally just like having dessert. I was like, what could we do? And a couple weeks later, we launched. <laughs> right. Two weeks later, you were like, as soon as I, dude, it was all you, though. You made it happen. I, I was just like, hey, I want to do something creative with you. 
and I, I think it'd be fun. Yeah. And then, then uh, you were like, what? And I was like, write a book, write a script, you know, write a screenplay, do a podcast. And you were like, ooh, let's do a podcast. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And literally two weeks later, we were recording a podcast. And right. Was like, I was like, I have a domain. We're all set up. We have hosting. Let's go. Yeah. Like, man, you put all that together. It was very, very impressive. I could not have done any of I, I could have done that. It would take me about a year. But I could have got it done. That's literally my full time job is to do things like that. <laughs> so it's fine. I was just doing it at home. So. So. What do you, do got? you want? You want to go? I have a murder, but it's it's a, it's an interesting one. And it's actually there's a movie based on it. OK. But I do have a murder. OK. So I'll go first because we always <laughs> like to have a palate cleanser. After <laughs> OK. The murders. Today, we're going to talk about the 2011 film. Actually, we're going to talk about the subject of the 2011 film. Bernie. Directed. Bernie. Ooh, I think I saw Directed that. by. You watched it with me. Yeah. Richard Richard Linklater. 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 Yeah. He's, called, he's the guy who did Days to Confuse. I know who he oh, is. Okay. I, I, just I, call him Richard I did a lot of research oh, okay. on this. I like that. And it stars Jack Black and Matthew <laughs> McConaughey. So we're talking about the subject of the film, who's Bernie Tita. Now, in the movie, and if you watch like 48 Hours or any of the other things he's been on, people call him Bernie Peed. So I watched a jailhouse interview with him and they were like, people have been pronouncing your name wrong when you introduced yourself. What did you say? And he's like, oh, my name's pronounced Tita. Hmm. Nobody ever bothered to get his name right. He made a movie. How do you spell his last name? T-I-E-D-E. Oh, okay. So Teed is a is a fine pronunciation. You know what I mean? But that's not how he pronounces it. So. Bernie Tito was a local mortician in Carthage, Texas, and everybody loved him. He was like he was just a jovial, nice guy. I mean, he's played by Jack Black in the movie. Right. So you kind of get the idea. He was he is now openly gay, but at the time he was closeted. No. Tito was a constant presence in the community and he gave all he could to the people he loved. I mean, he didn't have a great job, but he gave back as much as he possibly could. And by all accounts, he was fantastic. The little old ladies loved him at the funeral home because you know how like old people in funeral homes, they like go to all of them. They go to all the funerals because yeah. that's just how it is. So they he had a quite a following in the old lady community. <laughs> the old lady community. So this is a quote from Skip Hollinsworth, who covered this story for the Texas Monthly Magazine. He says, in 1990, the town's leading banker and oilman, Rod Nugent, a hard nosed, tough, but fair businessman, he dies. And Bernie is in charge of the funeral. So most of this article is where my research came from. But I did watch a bunch of interviews, too, and it is available online. It's from 1998. Bernie Tita meets Marjorie Nugent. Marjorie is Rod's widow. Nugent was a wealthy member of town and she was universally despised by the entire town. And she had no relationship with her own family. Like she had I think she had a son and maybe two sons. But they didn't like her and nobody nobody liked her. Yeah. <clears throat> so initially, Nugent wasn't quick to accept Bernie when he was trying to comfort her and trying to bring her food, trying to take care of her. But eventually she grew to really, really love him. Yeah. And they started. Traveling together and doing all kinds of crazy like trips, they would go up to New York City for the weekend from Texas. Yeah, that's a that's a haul. Yeah, it is. That's not like if we went to New York City. Right. Like that's who. So in 1993, Bernie told Don Lipsy, one of the one of the folks that he was friends with in town, that 
Nugent had asked him to work for her at a much higher salary as her business manager. Now, she's a multimillionaire. Right. So they he was making twenty four thousand dollars a year as a mortician. And by becoming his. It's like what I made at Taco Bell in in 1996. This was was 93. I learned something about morticians. Do you want to hear it? Or maybe it's. Yeah, it's morticians. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. This is disgusting. Do tell. There is, it looks like a long screw, like three inches or so. Yeah. And they're called AV plugs. <laughs> and one goes in your butt and one goes in the, the V. Oh. Yeah. And that's why they're called AV plugs. They're called AV plugs. See, being a tech guy, no, I think of AV no. plugs. <laughs> something and else. they're they're called <laughs> AV plugs and they morticians put them in to keep fluids from leaking out. That's what I figured. Once uh, you said where they went, I didn't. Think I learned it was for that this week. Purposes. I learned this week. Well, I mean, no, I, I just I'm learning just now. But I when once it's you said they were exciting. put in there, like I said, I, I didn't think it was for decorative reasons. I figured it was as a stoppage. I haven't been to that kind of a funeral. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> look at these lovely AV plugs <laughs> on Nana. Right. <laughs> like, good God. Did you see the AV plugs? They did yeah. a great job. That one's porcelain. I learned that on Facebook. Yeah. And then I researched it because I didn't believe it. And it was true. And that ruined, makes sense. Ruined my whole day, dude. So yeah. Tita and Nugent spend years traveling and they go to. I bet you that's know, the first thing they do is put those in because you don't want to forget that step. Right. And then you start <laughs> like doing something. whatever the fluids, the other stuff it is yeah. just leaking. They're just sitting there in a puddle of stuff. Oh, yeah. Puddle of shit and maybe half their colon hanging out. Who knows? I also learned about prolapse. If you don't yeah. know what prolapse is, go ahead and Google that. <laughs> I learned about that this week. <laughs> so they were traveling all over the place. They they went on cruises. They went abroad. They went to the pyramids. They were going like everywhere. Yeah. The two of them. There are all these pictures of them just taking vacations together. But what few in town knew and what Bernie wasn't saying is that Nugent had changed her will and made Bernie the sole heir. Hmm. To her multimillion dollar estate. Nugent later told her cousin that she didn't want to leave a cent to her son or any of her immediate family because they didn't appreciate her. Fair enough. So could you imagine she that's how terrible she was. Right. I get that. Is that like, yeah, I do, too. (laughs) I I do. I do, too. (laughs) But that's how terrible she was, that this woman was worth millions and millions of dollars. And her son was like, no, thanks. You know what? No, thanks. Right. I don't need the money. Like, no. Marjorie's granddaughters continue to try to maintain a relationship with her. Yeah. You know, you want to love your grandma. Right. And on one of their their trips to um, to Carthage to see her in 1994, she opens the door and she tells one of the girls, I don't even know who you are. Wow. Yeah. And she was like, what do you mean? You know, you know, you know who we are. We've been here. And she was like, you need to leave. She wouldn't even let her grant in 94. Wow. She said that eventually they let him in and. Marjorie was like, she said, Grandma Marjorie's new behavior was disturbing. She was like a schoolgirl in love. Oh. Shannon Nugent said. So they had pictures. She said that all the pictures of Marjorie's late husband were gone and they were replaced with pictures of Bernie all over the wall. How, Bernie. Old, how old was she? Old. Old. Old age. Old. She was old, like dying people age. Okay. She was the age of death. So. I'll tell you, I'm pretty sure it comes up. I think she was like 81 when I, I don't know. I feel like but, this is perfect relationship, though, in that she probably didn't really have a sex drive anymore. 
Yeah, and he's a gay or, man. And he's so a gay, he's, closeted gay guy. Yeah. And so, so he's not trying to still do have the other parts of a romantic relationship without the yeah, sexual I, aspects. It's, it's a companionship at that point. I mean, right. that's all it is, right? But sometime after the relationship had started, a couple of years later, Nugent became extremely overbearing and abusive. And Tita said that even though he had his own home, which he had purchased with the money that he made from her, yeah, he felt trapped by Nugent and he wanted out. Tita claimed that she had 24-7 demands and it, they just turned into an abusive relationship. According to Bernie's friends, he had to have Nugent's medicines out every morning by the time that she woke up. And he had to be back to her house by 1145 for lunch. And she would become panicky, quote, panicky, and start calling his pager incessantly until he arrived. So he had mm. a pager just for her. When he would visit someone else, Bernie would, ha- would be interrupted by pages and have to call to check on her. Yeah. And here's a quote from Bernie. We were in a heated discussion and I told her, I can't do this anymore. I can't be your friend. I just can't do it. She was very distraught. You can't leave me. You're not going to leave me. No one has ever left me. So I backed my car out of the garage. And by the time I got by the time I got out there, she had locked the gate on me. And I said, fine, I won't leave you. (laughs) That's that's really that's anticlimactic. (laughs) But but that's how it ended. So he was trying to leave. And Marjorie Nugent was like, no. And he was like, "Okay." well, he claims that her treatment of him reminded him of some abuse he suffered as a child. He says that he molested by his uncle. So here's my issue. Was she molesting him? Right. Saying you have to be there by 1145 isn't quite the same as like diddling someone. Right. Like not quite the same thing. Much of the gossip about Nugent was most likely exaggerated. Because one of the teachers at the local high school said she wasn't all that unfriendly, but she didn't go out of her way to be friendly, which can mean a lot in a small town. Yeah. So that got me thinking about me personally and you. Yeah. And how we're probably known as like unfriendly. Right. Like people probably think we're mean. We're not social. Because I'm not trying to hang out in a driveway in a folding chair with my neighbors. Right. I'm sure our neighbors don't. Oh, our neighbors don't care for us. us. And it's weird to me to not care for somebody just because they keep to themselves and they're quiet. That's that's so weird. Right. Considering the things that anger me going back to when we had a neighbor whose dog would shit right outside our door on our sidewalk all the time. Yeah. And terrible people play country music super loud at nighttime firing guns or next door. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know. Firing guns or fireworks, one of the two at all hours. That's the entire city that we live in. <laughs> they were like, I don't understand. It's like once Fourth of July hits, nobody stops with the fireworks until right. school's back in session. It's like everybody calm down. But it, it's clear, though, that we're kind of looked at because nobody. Yeah, because we're not trying to chill. We don't on talk the, to anybody. We don't we're not walk. trying to. I have friends. Right. I don't see a reason to talk to my neighbors. I don't need any more friends. I'm, I'm all set. Neighbors I'm, are like. Hold up. They're almost like family in that you're you're just forced to exist with them. Right. You're not there with them by choice. That's just how it is. So I make the best of it. I ignore them. Right. So here's kind of where things started to take a turn. And this is a quote from an article. Perhaps Bernie decided he deserved extra pay for his service, or perhaps he thought that he could do whatever he wanted with her money since it was coming to him anyway. Or, as his sister suggests, maybe Bernie genuinely believed in the good of giving. But for whatever reason, he became the town's Robin Hood. 
And unbeknownst to Nugent, he started slipping money out of her bank account and giving it to anyone he could help. He bought at least 10 cars for people who couldn't afford one. Wow. Telling them to pay him back when they could. He bought a home for a struggling young couple. Holy crap. He provided scholarships to students at Panola College. He pledged $100,000 to the new building campaign for the, the First United Methodist. And he led a fundraising drive for the Boy Scouts. When a woman who owned a local trophy shop said her business was failing, he stepped in and he bought it. Wow. Bernie was on a one-man campaign to improve the culture and life in Carthage. He was giving away tickets to, to college theater productions and paying for expenses of the choir concerts. And when a man who once worked with him at the funeral home told him that he was looking to open a, a clothing store, Bernie funded it. That's... That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> sounds so, like a like, great guy. He was giving back to the community and everybody loved him. Right. Thanksgiving of 1996, Bernie went alone to see his sister, telling her that Nugent had decided to spend her holiday in Ohio with her one sister that she was still talking to. <laughs> At Christmas, Bernie decorated Nugent's home, but again told those who asked to see Mrs. Nugent that she was in Ohio. Early that spring, he began telling people that Nugent was in bed because of an illness and she was not capable of accepting visitors. By late spring, he said that she was in a nursing home outside of Carthage, recuperating from a stroke. Hmm. He also told Lloyd Tiller, who's a con who was concerned that Nugent hadn't been answering her messages that he had left for, that she was losing her mind and perhaps had Alzheimer's. Hmm. But Tiller didn't believe Bernie's explanations. It never occurred to him that Bernie might have harmed her. Yeah. But he was still like, all right, this is weird. Right. So Ruth Cockrell, she's a Car Carthage widow and was also Nugent's first cousin, was also dubious. She was quoted as saying, I was worried something had happened to her, but I didn't know who to talk to about it. Bernie was so beloved that if I suggested he had done anything wrong, I would have been laughed out of town. Right. Then in early June 1997, an unidentified woman called the sheriff department and said she was worried about Mrs. Nugent. Had anyone seen her lately? But because of more pressing matters around town, the deputies didn't look into the matter for over a month. Hmm. Then they found Bernie, who was in Las Vegas, singing at a Panola College student's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's so random. And he explained that Nugent was in a hospital outside of Temple under an assumed name and did not wish to be contacted. Hmm. Deputies couldn't find anyone at the hospital who matched her description, so they called... Nugent's son in Amarillo, and he came with his eldest daughter to search the house. While they were searching the house, they found a deep freezer in the garage, and mm. it was taped shut. Mm. So the deputy opened it, he took a look inside, and at the bo bottom, wrapped in a white sheet underneath some frozen food, was Marjorie Nugent. Holy shit, that's weird because he's a mortician. So you feel like he would he would have handled it a little bit better. You know right. what I mean? He could right. have embalmed her and done all this kind of stuff and then did something with the body. So deputies spread through town looking for Bernie. They found him taking a team of little league baseball players and their parents <laughs> out to dinner. This dude is like <laughs> this dude is he's a saint. Oh, in fact, yeah, he's a little he, bit of a murderer. He's he sounds like a fictional character with his behavior. He's just such a such a nice guy. He's, yeah. just doing, he's just so nice. Where is he? He's like, oh, he just I don't know. He pulled somebody out of a burning building. <laughs> right. Now he's on his way to deliver like, a baby. What saving, do you need him for? Saving Timmy we think he killed well. someone. Mm -hmm. Oh, OK, sure. <laughs> he seemed really surprised that the deputies wanted to ask him some questions. 
But with officers looming over him in a small room in the sheriff's department, he finally calmly admitted it to admitted it. He admitted it. He did all the admitting. He admitted to shooting Marjorie Nugent. Wow. I thought about hitting Marjorie in the head with a bat or anything for a couple of months prior to November 19th, 1996. But I did not want her to suffer, Tita said in his 97 confession. She had become very hateful. She had become very possessive over my life. She was now evil and wicked, but I still cared for her. There was an uproar over Bertie's arrest. <laughs> Danny Buck, who is, he's the guy who arrested, he's the sheriff or whatever, said it was like a bunch of fireworks going off. And he's, Danny Buck is played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie. Oh, okay. After a group of women tried to raise the money to meet Bernie's $1.5 million bond, Damn. <laughs> the DA went to the Justice of the Peace and filed additional theft charges to raise his bond up to $2.7 million. Jesus. So Danny Buck got so mad at Reverend E.B. Beasley, their church reverend, you know, because it's a small town and they have like one. Right. And he was publicly praying every Sunday for Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> that Danny Buck stopped going to church. <laughs> He's quoted as saying, Bernie's a con man, an accomplished actor. He really duped a nice, trusting town. He's evil. Yeah, but he also duped them by doing good things, though, it sounds like. I haven't. I haven't gotten to this part yet but my thinking is that he really just snapped and i get it yeah i get it i don't think that makes him evil by dealing with someone who is nasty i've dealt uh, uh, most of my life right i know that that's a, that's they, an honest reaction it's an it, because those kind of people are trying to push your buttons right they are trying to get a reaction from you and that's exactly what most townspeople. And it sounds thought. like he was incredibly long suffering for a very long time. And they think the townspeople were saying that he probably just snapped and had a psychotic break. Yeah. But Bernie's sister says that when she phoned him in the jail, he told her that there had been no particular problems that November day between him and Ms. Nugent. They were about to go to Longview to run errands and have lunch when suddenly Bernie just picked up the 22 rifle in the garage and started firing at her. That's Bernie who said that. Wow. He dragged. Nugent into the kitchen, put her in the freezer, and then washed the blood off the garage floor with a garden hose. Wow. He said, I started thinking about having to live with her for the rest of my life, and I just couldn't take it. I said, I realized I couldn't. He said, I realized I couldn't stand one more day. Yeah. So it was a buildup of things. Yeah. What it it was just like. like, it was like too much, too much, too much. So why did he leave her in the freezer for nine months? I mean, right. he was used to being around dead bodies. Right. But... That's what I'm curious. Danny about. Buck says he wouldn't have even been able to file murder charges if Bernie had simply dumped her somewhere right. where she wouldn't be found. Bernie owned planes that he had bought with with her money. Yeah. And if he had just kicked her out of the plane over the Gulf of Mexico, Bernie, Danny Buck was like, I would have never found her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so according to Bernie's sister, Bernie said he couldn't be so cruel as to abandon Marjorie. You hmm. wouldn't be so cruel, the astonished sister asked. Hmm. Bernie, what were you planning to do? Right. And Bernie said, I wanted to give Ms. Nugent a proper burial. You know, everyone needs a proper burial. Well, just like a true mortician. Right. Well, that's what I mean, though. Why didn't he do that right away? Right. Like, somewhere, anywhere. Right. His defense was that he killed Marjorie in an act of passion and that her murder was not premeditated. The trial lasted less than a week, and it took them 20 minutes to find him guilty. Nine years after he met Marjorie Nugent at her husband's funeral, he was sentenced to life in prison. Kind of case closed. So Richard Linkletter 
couldn't get the tail of Bernie Tita out of his head. So he attended the trial. He's from Texas, too. So that he was had, probably something. Really he lives in I think he lives in Austin. Yeah. Um, he started thinking that there was a movie there. So Linkletter and Skip Hollinsworth, the guy whose article this is largely based on, who covered the trial and everything. Yeah. They wrote the Bernie screenplay. They took it to Jack Black and he said, he's, Linkletter said, hey, have I ever told you about this story? I'm totally obsessed with this guy, Bernie Tita. And, and Jack says, I was like, OK, let's read this thing. And Jack became so intrigued that he agreed to play the lead role as long as he was able to vi pay a visit to Bernie in prison. Wow. So Jack Black goes to prison with Richard Linkletter and uh, they basically like they sat down and had a whole interview. That's cool. Yeah. 16 years after he shot Marjorie Nugent dead, Bernie Tita painted a picture for his defense attorney, Jody Cole, about how he felt that morning. The morning I felt like I wasn't part of the shooting. I felt like I wasn't even there. And I have learned that it is called the diso dissociative episode. So his new attorney, Jody Cole, actually came about after the sentencing. She felt like he didn't get a fair trial. She reached out to him and was like, let me help you. Yeah. A dissociative episode is a new age term that would break the case against Bernie Tita wide open. They were overwhelmed with stress and emotion. And if you're an actual disassociate, which is to leave your body, then while he was out of his body, he killed Marjorie Nugent. But on May 6th, 2014, Tita's life sentence was thrown out. A new sentencing trial was ordered and Tita was released from prison. Richard Linkletter came and picked him up wow. and they lived together in Linkletter's Austin home. I would not live with Bernie Tita. <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm just saying like that would. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I understand what he did. I get it totally. Don't want to live with the guy. I could talk to the guy. I would not. I would not want to live with the Linkletter guy. Though, just in like, case. Here you go. You can just stay with me. In April 2016, after two years of freedom. Bernie Tita's new sentencing trial began and it was moved to Henderson, Texas, because Tita had so many friends and family in, in the original town of Carthage. Yeah. I don't know. Wait a minute, though. Where was the, tr the first trial held? Because that's what I was wondering. Carthage. If, and they were just like, bam, you're guilty, though. That's what I mean. Like, what does it matter where the trial is? Because it's a judge. It's not it's not. He didn't have a jury of his peers. He had a judge. Oh, OK. I didn't know that. So Linkletter went to the stand to defend his friend, like the director. Of that movie. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. The director and all of those who loved Bernie argued that he had paid his dude with time already served. 16 years. Yeah, I'd say that's enough time, said Jack Black. And Tita's uncle, under oath, denied ever having molested Bernie. But he did admit to writing Bernie sexual letters. Okay. That's almost better. Uh, once you admit to that, it's just like, okay, well, you, well, you you're probably did it all. Psycho. You know what right. I mean? You, you did it all then at that point, because... If you think because I feel like that's the mind of like a sicko is they're like, look, all I did was, was finger his butthole a little bit. What's the big deal? Everybody does that. You know what I mean? In their right. mind, they're just like, it's that's not a big like, deal. Right. So it's like, OK, like, so if that's that, if, if you that's what you're willing to deal, admit to. Right. What the fuck? What else do? have you done? If you think, OK, well, yeah. this is a minor thing. I'll admit to that instead of like a normal person who would right. be like where they're trying to minimize. Well, they're like The only thing I did is I made him a sandwich one day. And I said he looked cute. Uh, his uncle reminds me of Charlie's uncle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking when we walked at the chocolate factory and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I don't remember an uncle. Uh, so on April 2nd, 2016, 26 years after he had met Marjorie Nugent, 
the jury once again sentenced Bernie Tita to 99 years in prison. Holy shit. He will be eligible for parole in 2029, and he will be 70. Damn, that was unexpected. That was a twist. Yeah. I thought he'd maybe get a few more years. Well, that's because the movie was out in 2011, and you kind of were under the impression, like, oh, this movie will draw, like, you know, like, yeah. like making a murderer, that kind of thing. Like, where it'll he draw He just doesn't attention. seem like it. I know I said I wouldn't live with him, and I wouldn't, but he doesn't seem like a dangerous guy that you need off the street. You know what I mean? Right. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't random. It wasn't. Right. Like, and, to me, and then when you think about all the good he was doing, I'm like, it really outweighs it. He, he killed one nasty bitch. Who cares? Right. And then he lost all access to all her money by killing her. Yeah. In the, in the movie, Bernie, they're interviewing fake townspeople, like people who are playing townspeople. And right. they're like, the townsperson is like, she had a bad heart. You could have just put a pillow over her. Right. <laughs> and he's like, no one would have said anything. Like The other thing, too, is when you said, he said he couldn't envision spending the rest of his life with her. It's like, but she was going to die. die soon. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's going to die soon, and you have so much money coming to you. Yeah. And he wasn't, he didn't use the money for himself. I mean, he did. He bought himself planes. He bought himself that house, and he traveled. Yeah. But he did that with her, too. Like, yeah. a lot of it was acquired while he still had her. And then when he, once he killed her, but that's when he became... To where, you know, like he was just trying to trying to help everybody out. He was taking the Little League parents out to dinner. Yeah. And all that shit. It's like every time they found him, it was like, oh, I'm singing at a wedding. Ah, I'm taking people out to dinner. Like, I'm the nicest guy ever. Right. Murder a little bit. But like, she was a dumb bitch. So what are you going <laughs> to do? You know, like, I get it. I do. I get it. And it makes sense, too, because everybody disliked her. You know right. what I mean? It, Except it for was her. Known... Her family claims like, oh, she was Grandma Marjorie. She was great. Like. Now, mm, right. but that's when that's like when someone kills themselves, and all of a sudden that's everybody's best friend. Right. My best friend killed themselves. Okay, well, I'd never heard right. of them before. If you guys were so close, why are there no pictures of you together ever? Right. It's that kind of a thing. Right. <sighs> so yeah, that's my that's my thing this week. That was interesting because I do remember I, I remember that movie very little. I I know we I know we saw it. We watched it when it was on Netflix. It's not I didn't remember Netflix how anymore. it ended though. I, I didn't remember, like, if he got, you know, if he got away with it, if he got, you know, I just remembered that Shirley MacLaine played her, played Marjorie, her, Marjorie, and eventually he killed, but he was the nicest guy in the world, and everybody liked him, but I, I couldn't remember how it ended, though. Well, a lot of the movie is spent showing how terrible she is. Yeah. So that way, when he does kill her, you're like, good. Right. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, Richard Linklater, clearly on his side. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that way, that way, that's how you feel about it or whatever, but... It's it's not on Netflix anymore. It's not on Hulu. Like, yeah, you, you got to pay like two ninety nine to rent it now if you want to see it. Darn. This week I am going to be talking about this is going to be a selective history of Batman. Selective. Selective history. There's a lot of history there. Batman has been around for 79 years. Yeah, it's gonna. That's you could do a whole podcast i could do about i that. could do like, an anthology series about well, batman no, what depending I mean, on how in depth you could actually go. have a like you could have this podcast and then you could have a batman podcast that's right. separate where you just talk about batman because there's so much to talk about there and then that's just i mean it's been around for 79 years in comics and aside from comics obviously there's been tv shows and films and books and merchandising and all that kind of stuff so i yep. thought i would just discuss so i thought i would just discuss the what I find to e to either be interesting or important. Pertinent information. Yeah, just, you know, kind of important. Like, obviously, starting with his creation in 1939. 
Okay. So, 1939, National Comics, later to become DC Comics. Side note, DC Comics is named after Detective Comics, which I did not know. I always thought DC stood for Direct Currents because of some... In the 90s, they had something called Direct Currents. I think it was the 90s that they put out. So I was like, oh, that must be what DC stands for. It can't possibly stand for Detective Comics because that would make them Detective Comics Comics. Right. And that's just stupid. But it turns out their company that. (laughs) But it turns out the DC and DC Comics actually does stand for Detective Comics. So they are Detective Comics Comics. That's dumb. So anyway. That just sums up DC, right? It it does sum up a lot of their decisions. Well, here here's the thing about Batman, just just from my opinion. Yeah, I I think he's like the the greatest comic character of all time. Yeah, he's your favorite. He's my favorite. And sometimes, I, yeah, sometimes. and it's weird because I'm a Marvel guy. Right. I'm very. That's those. You really are, like Spider Man and Captain America, but you and really Hulk like and Punisher and Wolverine. I've have. Oh Jesus! I was but. There's something about the Batman character that that I've always liked as well. I think he'd be great in the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe has always been better. And I've always, you know, on my pool list in the 90s, it was always a bunch of Marvel comics and then Batman and Detective Comics. Like, that's it. Like there was it was never Superman or Green Lantern or anything. Batman, that's it. And I know I'm not the only one who's like that, but I also don't understand it like what what is it about? I don't even understand what is it about this character. Well, I feel like if you take so many shots, eventually you'll get something, right? And when we were watching Bat- Lego Batman, yeah, you saw all those shit ass villains <laughs> that they had, right? Condiment Man or whatever his name was, <laughs> right. Gentleman Ghost, yeah, and all these. So I mean, if you take enough shots, eventually one will be good. Yeah. So Batman's well, the, the one good one. And I think DC just happens. To have that character. But at the same time, I think a lot of my issue with DC characters is they were all cre- they were all created around the same time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the Marvel characters were created about 20 to 30 years later. So that even though that doesn't put them tech- in the modern age, you know, yeah, they're, they're in his dated. Right. But somehow being created in the 60s as opposed to the 30s and 40s, it, it makes a big difference. And that's I was concerned that when the Captain America movie came out, because that that's a that's a 40s character. You know, it was in the height of World War Two and everything that he was created. I was like, man, how are they going to do? But they did a an amazing they did job. A great job. They did a fantastic job with yeah. the character. So it can be done with the with. And when you think of Captain America, he is just as dated as as Superman. When you think about it, you know, what I mean, he wears the flag, basically. Yeah. You know, he looks goofy. He's got it, it's he's a ridiculous looking character. But they modernized him. By bringing him into modern day and le- even leaving him with insane principles and then having like Iron Man make fun of him. And right. you know what I mean? Like they did it well in Marvel. The, exactly. Whereas with Superman, all they all they've done recently is they just try to turn him into a superpower Batman, basically dark remember, and dour. Remember that one terrible Superman where he got someone pregnant. Like, I don't understand the logistics. That of was that. Superman Returns. That was terrible. Well, right, because like in Mallrats, Brody says there's no way that Superman could get Lois Lane pregnant because he would shoot a load right through her back. Right. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's accurate. Mm-hmm. I, I that makes sense. Yeah. I, and she, it and does. her womb wouldn't be strong enough to contain the baby anyway. He would right. kick right through it right. Uh, again. Brody, you know, Kevin Smith, obviously. But yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah. But so they, they've tried to turn Superman into Batman, which is a terrible idea. And they let Captain America be Captain America. 
but they found a way to write him where he's he's awesome. Everybody looks up to him in the Marvel Universe, outside the Marvel Universe. He's just a great character that everybody yeah. looks up to. It's really cool. So anyway, back to uh, back to Batman. <laughs> So in 1939, National Comics, later to become DC Comics, they were looking for a new superhero character that could build on the success of Superman that had come out about a year before. Editor Vin Sullivan turned to what appeared to be an unlikely creative source, a gag cartoonist named Bob Kane, and asked him to design a new hero. So Bob Kane conceived of the character. So Bob Kane came up with Batman, and when he first designed Batman... He was wearing a red suit and just like a mask like Zorro would wear. Okay. And he had, he did have like bat wings, but not so much a cape. So then he took that to a guy named Bill Finger. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill Finger is the one who changed the color <laughs> scheme. Terrible last name. What, Finger? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Bill Finger took his drawing and he added the cowl. And like the black and the gray and added the bat symbol. Made him look more like a bat. And, turned, and gave him a, more of a cape instead of actual bat wings. Yeah. Uh, Bob Kane was influenced a lot by Zorro and by, um, I don't know what it's called, but you remember in Hudson Hawk? I feel like no other podcast talks about Hudson Hawk. We talk about <laughs> I feel Hudson like Hawk. no other couple in the world talks about <laughs> Hudson Hawk as much as we do. I, but do you remember? I'm willing to bet you're right. <laughs> right. No one. <laughs> we Literally, still, out of we're all gonna the do, billions of people. We're going to do a special episode about Hudson Hawk. We're going to do like a retro review of it. Yes. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to just Talk delve into Hudson Hawk one day. But anyway, Such a good movie. do you remember the beginning of the movie when the guy's on like the flying contraption and then at the end of the movie they use it to fly out yeah. of like that's where he got like the wing design from basically. Leonardo is what, da Vinci. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. The yeah. drawings and designs of Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know what that thing was called, whatever that flying machine that he was, was trying to now. develop or whatever. So, and just as a side note, I don't want to get into this too much, but for years, like up until literally 2016, Bob Kane was credited as solely as the creator of Batman. Is this the same Bob Kane who makes Family Circus? No, it's, I think you're thinking of Gil Kane or oh. Gil Keen or something. Okay, good. Oof. I was like, that's weird. No, no. That's a weird design choice. No. Anyway, so so up until 2016, Bob Kane was credited as the sole creator of Batman. And this guy named Mark Nobleman had been campaigning for like 10 years to get Bill Finger credit for co-creating Batman. Because he also wrote some of the early Batman stories. He developed a lot of things like the Batmobile and other characters and things. Bill Keane. Bill Keane. So okay. I wasn't terribly off. Okay, no one cares. So, yeah, no, no one cares about Family Circus. Special episode where we talk nothing about family or only about what? <laughs> what time is it <laughs> like, what's you, going on you have derailed <sighs> now i don't know where i left off because you gave me pointless information about bill Keane. there he was railing trying to get finger credit yeah mark nobleman was for 10 years being very vocal about the fact that bill finger should have been credited as co-creator so there's a whole movie on hulu that's really good a documentary called batman and bill that kind of tells about that struggle oh, i think you watched that Yes, I did. <laughs> I yeah. certainly did. That's that's why I'm referencing it. No, and, but I think you watched it with me around. Yeah. Okay. And eventually he, he finds Bill Finger, because Bill Finger ended up dying, like, destitute in New York. Aw. Yeah. Aw. He, he got, like, no credit for, yeah. He's like one of those guys who's, like, 
Like he would be like in the taxi cab and he'd be like, well, you know, I helped create Batman. And people like, would be like, I'm sure you did. Old okay, man. Bill. <laughs> we gotta get oh, him. That's sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but eventually they did find his granddaughter and it, which was a big part of it. They, they needed some kind of heir to, to Bill Finger to, to get him, you know, credit or whatever. She had to, to push the case basically. Yeah. And so uh, 2016's Batman versus Superman movie is the first thing that actually says created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger now. That's a, and now going forward, he'll have that credit. So, which is good. I mean, it's good that he you know gets credit all these years later. Yeah, but he also died destitute. He did because he died destitute. He was wrong. And initially, in his life. they he they thought he was buried in some pauper's grave somewhere. And but it actually turns out his son, even though his son wasn't there when he died, he 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 was there like the next day and he had him cremated and he like took him to the beach and he made like a little bat signal in the bat symbol in the sand. Means his dad wouldn't shut up about the fact that he. (laughs) Well, no, he was a co-creator, but his son was like trying to get him credit, too, I guess. But it didn't go anywhere. He never uh, was able to get D.C. Like his son died. Yeah, his his son died of AIDS in like the 80s or something like that. Son died of AIDS? Yeah. So anyway, Man. but he made, a, he made a little bat either. symbol in the sand and put his ashes in there and let the ocean come in and, and carry his ashes out. So that's so much work. But, uh, I guess if you live by the ocean, it's not. So anyway, uh, in Batman's first story, he was introduced as bored socialite Bruce Wayne. Uh, donning his iconic costume, he became a ruthless crime fighter who dispatched thugs with grim satisfaction. A fitting end for his kind, said Batman after knocking a criminal into a vat of acid. Oh, <laughs> he had a, you know, a lot. He was a lot more violent at the beginning. He he used guns and would would actually kill people. In the thirties, eh? Late thirties and in, into the forties, even. Hmm. Uh, Batman utilized his utility belt for the first time to remove a glass pellet filled with the deadly gas in Detective Comics number twenty nine. Oh, I should probably have mentioned he debuted in Detective Comics number twenty seven. It was the May issue of of. Uh, May 1939 issue of Detective Comics with a cover, a cover date of May 1939, but it, I think it came out in March. Comics tend to run early. That's almost 100 so, years ago. 79 years. 79, 79 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Uh, the first boomerang-like Batarang and the first Bat-themed vehicle, the Batplane, made their debuts in Detective Comics number 31, which came out in September of 1939. Batman's tragic origin story, which I don't know if you know Jesus this, Christ. but Bruce Wayne's parents Are they were dead? gunned down oh. in an alley right in front of him. This is new information that I've never I just heard uncovered. It. No movies so have is, ever covered this. In case you were wondering where Brucey's parents have been in all these films, they're dead. It turns out they're dead. Who knew? Oh, I thought they were just like <laughs> Max and Ruby's parents, where they were just never on, never on Max screen. Max Ruby's. <laughs> Ruby and Max. But anyway, uh, his tragic origin in which a mugger guns down Bruce Wayne's parents as the family walks home from a movie was introduced six months after his debut in Detective Comics number 33. All right, into the 1940s. The dynamic duo was born in Detective Comics number 38 in April of 1940. That was when they introduced Robin the Boy Wonder. First Robin was, of course, Dick Grayson, who was a circus performer who was orphaned when a gangster murdered his parents. After Batman teamed up with Robin, the tone of the stories changed. No longer a grim Avenger who talked to himself, Batman evolved into a lighthearted father figure, trading wisecracks with his young partner. Boo! So, 
originally, I hate Robin. I've hated <laughs> Robin since I was a kid. Like, I love Batman. I hate Robin. I just always. And it's weird because as a kid, you'd think you'd identify with, oh, I want no, like, to be oh. fucking Batman. I want to <laughs> run around in green underwear and elf shoes. You know, what I mean? that never appealed to me. Yeah. Ever. I don't like Robin. And they keep trying to make him cool and badass. And he's in the. Teen Titans. Yeah. Well, he's in that new titan show that's coming out where he says fuck that man and it's just yeah it's like stop it's like aquaman stop it just stop it just put it away it's no good they let dick grayson eventually go on to become nightwing and have it and i thought that was great he was an adult he took over protecting the uh, sister city of bloodhaven and (laughs) that was fine they should have retired robin at that point but they didn't and it, as a concept now, maybe back then you had a boy ward. Maybe that was a common thing. <laughs> I don't. It's in. It's in a whatchamacallit too in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay. And again, that, that, that was, was in the time of dragons. Oh, that was so long that ago. Was so long. <laughs> <laughs> when all those dragons were flying around, <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't around for that. That would have been terrifying. Oh my god. But yeah, it just doesn't fit anymore. Stop. Stop with Robin. But anyway, this is the 40s. So. Uh, I don't, also, think, I don't think you had a boy, like a ward in the 40s. I have a ward. It's my ward. They make that joke in uh, Infinity War. Do you remember? No. When Doctor Strange, when, when Spider-Man and Iron Man are on, when they meet Doctor Strange, like I forget if they're on a ship or a planet or whatever, and he says something about it, his his son or something, you know, is that your son? He, or it, I forget how the joke went, but basically he's like, is he your ward? And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, clearly a reference to the whole Batman and Robin relationship because it is, it's just fucking weird. And also created, though, that whole Rob, what is it? Rob Schmeigel? Is that his name? Oh, he's great. Acing Gary. Yeah. Yeah, the, the ambiguously gay, gay duo. Yes. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just prime material. Yeah. That guy's great. So originally, Bob Kane agreed to try out Robin for just one issue as DC's publisher, Jack Leibowitz, was against the idea of having a youngster fighting gangsters, which makes that's sense. Not, but that's not the worst of it. No. Worst <laughs> of it is a youngster teaming up with an old man to fight right. gangsters. Just somehow ends up, I mean, again, you can adopt people. I mean, that makes sense, but the young, I don't know. They, they should have just called him his son. It's my son, you know? Yeah. But after sales doubled on the first issue to feature Robin, uh, Leibowitz sheepishly agreed to keep Robin in future stories. So thanks, kids of the, of the 40s. <laughs> now we have Robin forever. Oh, my God. It's whatever generation was before the baby boomers. Like, the baby boomers aren't bad enough. <laughs> so Batman earned his own self-titled comic book in 1940. That's when uh, in spring of 1940, we got Batman number one. Detective Comics was still running and is still running. I believe the last issue I picked up was like 992 or something or 985. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in that range. It's consecutive? Yeah. Like, I thought we talked about on Image Comics something being the longest-running consecutive. Well, okay, well, here's the thing. They've done renumbers, though. There's been points. Like, I also have a Detective Comics number 27. That did not come out in 1930. No, it came (laughs) out after DC did the whole New 52 thing a a few years back, and they relaunched everybody with a number one issue. But then they go back to what they call legacy numbering, which is what Marvel does a lot, too. They do it all the time. They'll just... So that's why uh, when I was talking about Spawn, it was like the longest running without any kind of reboot or renumbering or anything like that. Okay. And I think also, 
I don't know if it was a superhero comic or independent comic. I think it was actually a superhero comic, but I'm not sure. But no, they do these renumbers and reboots all the time. But then eventually they're just like, just go back to the old because when a big number's coming up, you know, when a thousand is cut, like they just hit, yeah. su- they just hit a thousand with Superman. Yeah, it's because Superman's like the longest running. But again, he's been there's renumbered so a bunch of times. There's been so do. many volumes and stuff. It has to be different versions of him too. Oh yeah, yeah, they change. They they change a lot, and we'll get it a little bit into that. How, you know, it has to change with the times. You know, there, there's all kinds of different influences and stuff. All right, so Batman number one came out spring 1940. It was notable not only for introducing. Uh, Joker and Catwoman, who at the time was referred to as the cat. Uh, but for a story in which Batman used a machine gun to shoot monsters. Sweet. The I story, that. <laughs> the story prompted editor Whitney Ellsworth to decree that Batman would no longer kill or use a gun. Why? I mean, I know he doesn't, but why? Uh, I'm guessing it doesn't really say other than... Other than this one person was like, nah. Yeah, I think I think it was just the idea of the violence of it, you know? Batman was like, I don't know. It's it's weird to me because I'm not used to seeing that, so I get it, but obviously at the time I don't really know what the motivation was. Yeah. I feel like I feel like he would be like an arms dealer, you know? Like I saw that Christian Bale version of Batman. Where <laughs> there were like weapons and stuff that said Wayne Industries on it. Right. All right, so um, many other key pieces of Batman's world were introduced in the 1940s. Uh, the home of Gotham City, which was named by Bill Finger. A lot of stuff you learn from that documentary on Hulu. I recommend you watch it if you're a Batman fan. It's very interesting. Um, uh, that was, it was Gotham City was first named in Detective Comics number 48 in 1940. The Batcave was introduced in Batman number 12 in 1942. Batman's first car was an ordinary red sedan. <laughs> right? He's cruising on like a red Taurus of the time. <laughs> like, I don't understand. He was, he was a bored socialite in the first ones. Why right. is he driving like a regular sedan? So in Batman number five, the new Batmobile roared into action, sporting its own bat-headed battering ram, which I remember pretty clearly. Uh, Batman and Robin declared that they didn't need a butler, but when Alfred Beagle discovered their secret identities, and later his name was changed to Alfred Pennyworth, um, and he helped thwart a gang of international crooks in 1943, he became one of their most loyal allies. Uh, during the 1940s, the tone of the Batman stories grew a little bit more fanciful. The Joker became less of a sinister killer and more of a dangerous prankster. They journeyed to Rome in their first time travel adventure. They also introduced Vicky Vale in 1948. So Batman stories got really bizarre in the 50s. Uh, it became like uh, science fiction based battling space aliens and robots. One time in some weird transformation, it became Zebra Batman, a radioactive black and white striped menace to Gotham City. No, <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, also an entire Bat family of characters was added to the comics, including Batwoman, Batgirl, Batmite. I fucking love Batmite. I didn't know he was that old. Do you know Batmite? He's like this little fish thing. He, he like floats, but he wears a Batman costume and he's like magical. Yeah, Batmite. <laughs> he sounds like he would be a great pet and wow. <laughs> and even Ace the Bat Hound, a crime fighting dog that wore a mask because, you know, Dogs right. need to hide their identities. Yeah. Dogs are I know that dog. You're going to go and kill all that dog's <laughs> right. family, all, all the puppies. Fucking know that dog. And then you're he feed bit me the other day. So anyway, in 1954, this is funny to me because 
1954, a book came out called Seduction of the Innocent that linked comic books and juvenile delinquency. So this was this era's turmoil in the toy box, basically. Yeah. So comic books were huge, and they decided that th this uh, this guy, I think he was like a psychiatrist or something, decided that because so many kids were reading these, that, that it was the, the leading cause of... Right, kind of like what they're doing, they do now with, with uh, Grand Theft Auto. Right, video games is, is yeah, the hot button now, or was now. a few years ago. It's kind of calming down. but And then in my era, it was toys. And yeah, when I was, was a kid, it was just toys. toys. And then uh, I think in like the 70s and 80s prior to that, it was music. You know, Satanic panic. Yeah. So there, there's music. There's always something they're pointing their whatever, finger at. Yeah, whatever, whatever media they haven't pointed at before. Whatever those young whippersnappers are into. Now they're going to be like, memes. Memes are the problem. They never point to things like child abuse. They're never like, right. well, you know what? 90% of these kids have had the shit kicked out of them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they right. never point to that. They never, never... like, <laughs> they never point to, like, or mental illness. Right. Like, that's never a cause. Oh, well, there was untreated mental illness in the family, and either he was a victim of or he himself had mental illness. Right. There are all these real causes people could be fighting, but okay, whatever. So anyway, so this book, Seduction of the Innocent, which I, I've actually heard of before doing this research, it was huge. So uh, it, they were calling, because they were saying this was the cause of juvenile delinquency or whatever, uh, it led the, the American people to call for censorship of comic books and essentially creating the Comics Code Authority, which used to be a thing, which isn't really anymore. It used to be a little... There used to like, like on the, TV. What was that? And PRMC or what, what? What was Tipper Gore's thing? The parental advisory stickers. It was kind of like that. Like when that came about. Oh, the explicit. We're explicit. Yeah. We have an explicit rating. Right, but you remember those stickers. Mm -hmm. um, so it was the equivalent of that, but for for comic books. So there was a bit of a cleanup, even though, even though they they were mostly talk, talking about. There was a lot of horror comics. This were like EC Comics and Tales from the Crypt and stuff were from that oh, era. Horror. You had a lot of like. Super violent stuff. However, um, despite DC's comics being far t tamer than these, these horror comics from other publishers, they still did a little bit of a cleanup campaign at DC for some of the characters, like Catwoman, whose dress had been slit up all the way to her thigh. <laughs> yeah, slut. Stopped appearing in Batman stories in 1954 and didn't return until... Until she was able to fix her hem? <laughs> until, oh, we don't know what to do with her. <laughs> Put some pants on her! <laughs> goddamn! Give her some goddamn jeans and a fucking leather jacket like Jessica Jones. Right, but she didn't come back until 1966. And then we... Here, this is where we get into the 60s. This is the era I don't really care for because... Uh, so in, by 1964, sales of Batman and Detective Comics were sinking and in danger of being being canceled. Uh, to stem this, this slide in sales, the books were assigned to editor Julie Schwartz, who ushered in a new look for Batman. Changes included a yellow oval around the bat on his chest, which used just to be a black bat, which has come back. But that, that's where they first introduced the, the yellow silhouette with the, with the bat inside. Um, New Batmobile and the hotline to police headquarters. Batwoman, Ace the Dog, and Batmite were all retired, and the focus returned to detective stories. Uh, Alfred was killed off. What the fuck? <laughs> Holy However, shit. However, this, this, that's not the part I don't like. But the part I don't like is, so this is where the, the Adam West and Burt Ward TV series came along. Is that that guy's name, Burt Ward? Yeah. Oh my god, he played his ward? He played yeah, Burt Ward played Batman's ward. Ha! <laughs> I'm probably the first person ever to make that connection. Right. I probably I, I'm guessing. 
So that came that debuted in in uh, January of 1966. It was a huge rating success that aired with two episodes every week. Wow. It spawned an unprecedented number of tie-in toys and merchandise and also inspired a new generation of Batman fans. Sales of the Batman comics soared. So created at the request of Batman TV show producers, a new Batgirl made her debut in Detective Comics number 359 in 1967. She was revealed as the teenage daughter of Gotham City's police commissioner, James Gordon, who never knew that Barbara snuck out every night to fight crime. She always made it home in time, however, to pursue her studies in forensic psychology. You know. So. She's just having it all. (laughs) So after the Batman TV series was canceled in 1968, sales of the comics fell again. Uh, In Batman number 217, Dick Grayson left for college, (laughs) and Bruce Wayne closed Wayne Manor in favor of a penthouse apartment. First step in a move to reestablish a back to basics atmosphere for the character. I really now getting into the 66 TV show. A lot of people really like that. And I I watched it again as a, as a kid in in like the early 80s. Yeah, when it was in syndication. Yeah. I, I, and I mostly remember watching it at my, at my great grandma's house. And I was I, I remember the feeling of I would watch it. And again, even as a. I don't know, seven, eight year old kid. I was like, this is so corny. It's really corny. So corny, but, but like, that's OK. No, like, it wasn't. It yeah, wasn't OK. It was. I, it, it was OK in that I was happy to see Batman on TV. But I remember again, I remember thinking at the time is like, can't they update this? Is there some can't they do something <laughs> like this? What is this? And I remember that that was when I would I would run around. I would grab a uh, my grandma had a black towel. Like, and I would, I would use safety pins to to pin it around my neck. We use towels very differently. I used to pull mine up in my hair and pretend to be a nun, like all around my head, like a habit. That sounds so fun. What did you do? Sit around and try not to masturbate? Like, I don't I, get I it. just didn't get married. Or I was really good at so being. So a lot like what you were doing already at the yeah. time. Yeah, I was eight. That was pretty much what I was doing. Sit around and be judgmental. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, sat around in my own self-righteousness. But right. it was pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, she had, she had a black towel and uh, I, I would run around and, and be Batman. With You know, that was the extent of my costume. I had, no, <laughs> I had nothing else going on <laughs> other than the black towel, but I thought that was enough. So in the early 1970s, the Joker and the rest of the rogues gallery were out of the picture. Batman operated alone, relied on his wits, solving mysteries, fighting street thugs in back alleys. He'd returned to his original incarnation of a shadowy figure haunting Gotham by night, striking fear into the hearts of criminals. Is it really haunting if you're doing good? He's haunting the criminals. So. Well, yeah, but fuck them. That's their fault. <laughs> but yeah, but they, they could be haunted, though. Batman returned to television when the New Adventures, of, New Adventures of Batman animated series premiered in February 1971, featuring the voices of Adam West and Burt Ward series continued airing under different names until 1981. I remember seeing reruns of that show in the 80s, too. Literally, the TV show, but in animated form, basically. Now on to the 80s. This is when Batman started getting good, in my opinion. Uh, Detective Comics number 526, 1991, saw the introduction of an orphan named Jason Todd. Uh, Who? Jason Todd. I've never heard. Is that... One year later, in Batman number 368, Dick Grayson retired as Robin, and Jason Todd adopted the name. Now, <laughs> Jason Todd is interesting. I just lost my place. Did Chris O'Donnell played? No, he played Dick Grayson. Did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because... He was the first cause, Robin. Because he, he was in the circus. <laughs> I remember that. Right. He was like... 
He was like yeah. an acrobat. Right. The Flying Graysons. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's out of the 40s, man. It's out of the 40s. Oh, keeping it in the family. We're all going to go be in the circus. Right. Holy shit. So anyway, so Jason Todd becomes Robin, basically. Now, Jason Todd, I, I believe Batman found Jason Todd trying to steal tires off the Batmobile is how we <laughs> found him. Yeah, that's ballsy. Right. Holy shit. So he ends up taking him in. And Jason Todd's a bit of a dick. He's mouthy. He's a punk. Yeah, he was he was stealing. Right. So DC, they decided to let the readers decide Jason Todd's fate via a call in like two. They had like two eight hundred numbers where they're basically the Joker had captured Robin like he does. <laughs> that happened a lot. Again, another reason to hate Robin, the boy hostage, as he's known. <laughs> uh, I like that name. Robin, the boy hostage. Yeah. So he, he captured Robin. And he was he was holed up in some warehouse somewhere and Batman's coming after him. And Joker is just literally beating him with a crowbar, He's just beating Jason Todd with his crowbar. And then at the end, they're like, hey, does he live or die? It's up to the readers that you had three days after this comic came out. And overwhelmingly, they decided to kill Jason Todd. <laughs> they did not like Jason. And they, I wasn't into comics yet. I had no part of this. But uh, they didn't like the guy. So they, they said they said to kill him. How many episodes was he around for? No, this is a comic. Issues. We say issues. Oh, how many <laughs> issues? Uh, I don't know. I don't have that information. But he was only around in the 80s. He was around for a few years, I guess. So he made his debut in 1981. And then a year later, he became Robin. Let me see if I have that. Okay, so 1988. Oh, Wait, no, no, no. A... Wait, hang on. Yes, 1988. He was around for a while. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So anyway, so then, so Joker ends up blowing up the place, and Jason Todd is dead. However, however, years and years later, I want to say in the 2000, in the aughts sometime, uh... Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb did what is it now a popular 12 part art called Hush. And they introduced this idea of this this new guy named Hush who. Oh, that's somebody's name. Yeah. He called himself Hush. And he was like a new villain. He was a new villain for Batman. And at one point they make readers and Batman believe that it's Jason Todd. He didn't that he didn't die. Is there a animated version of this not yet i feel like you watched something similar you're thinking of under the red hood but that's oh, kind of like of that. yeah, yeah but what this is hush this is like a precursor to under the red hood okay um but in hush everybody got all excited because they're like holy shit they're bringing jason todd back and then it didn't it turned out not to be him it turned out to be someone else dr thomas somebody i forget his name it was like a boyhood friend of bruce wayne's boo and he knew batman's identity and everything like that but it so that kind of Sparked something though, you know. Obviously, readers responded to it, editors noticed it. So then, that's when the Under the Red Hood story started, where they they actually are like, well, let's bring Jason Todd back. So Jason Todd is back. He was the Red Hood. Yeah, that's what I was like. Yeah. I know the story. <laughs> and he he's alive. He basically revived. He ended up reviving himself in Rachel Ghoul's uh, Lazarus Pits. You know what? You you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, I, I forget how he he got there and stuff. I, I think I think it's a little cheesy. I do like the Red Hood though. He, he's got a cool costume. All right. So anyway, let's go back uh, to 1986. 1986, 
four-issue series, Batman the Dark Knight by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, redefined the hero as an older, tougher warrior coming out of retirement to reclaim Gotham City from criminals who had overtaken it. It also introduced the first female Robin. Uh, as Batman the Dark Knight returns, it became the first DC story arc to be collected in book form and, and has remained continuously in print. Now this, and again, I, I, first, I didn't start reading comics until the early 90s. And I had a lot to go back. It might have even been like 89 or 90. It was shortly after Jason Todd died. Mm -hmm. And my memory is uh, I was I was a male candy striper at a hospital. I was called a chap. My sister was a candy striper. At, at, we were both worked at, at the local children's hospital. I really didn't know that they even had male candy stripers. They did. And the way I helped was by staying in the gift shop reading comics. <laughs> by not interacting with anybody. <laughs> right. So I would stand there and just read these comics. And then I go upstairs to like the, the candy striper office and they're like, hey, we have all these books that we don't think are appropriate for the kids here. Do you want them? And they were all trade paperbacks, most of them Batman. So I literally got, I got Batman Year One. I got uh, The Dark Knight Returns. I got... Um, a story. It was just called Robin. It was actually the Tim Drake Robin origin. So it was after that, which I think that might have been early 90s. So because that was already collected. But that that was like the third Robin. So I had. And so I, let me get this straight. They were like, hey, child, we don't think these books are appropriate for children. But I was Would a teenager. You like them? I was oh, a teenager. OK, OK. okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, I forget you weren't 10 because in like 90, you know, in 91, I was 10. So right. in my mind. Yeah. So okay. yeah, again, I don't I'm, I'm hazy on whatever year that was, but I was I know I was a teenager. Um, so, yeah. So and I, I wasn't allowed to have these, but, you know, I, I brought them home and hid them and, and read them. Right. And everything. And that that really kickstarted me into comics big time. That being a chap, like <laughs> I spent my time reading comics there. They just gave me free comics. It was crazy. <laughs> it was life. the best job I've ever well, had that didn't I, pay anything. I love the hospital. All right. <laughs> good, good times. Uh, 1988, Alan Moore and Brian Boland uh, put out a story called The Killing Joke, which was a nightmarish story about the Joker shooting Barbara Gordon and leaving her for dead. It's really good. We're, we're, there's a video version that I'm going to make you watch after we finish up. Is that not what we watched? You did not watch that, no. What's the one that I'm not? I'm not watching that. Number two. <laughs> We're gonna watch it. What's the one I watched where Batman and Joker are old? You're that's the Dark Knight Returns. Okay. That's the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. So anyway, but it acts as a like an origin story of sorts for the Joker. Really great story, and I actually have the first printing of that. Yeah. Very proud of he's so proud yeah. like <laughs> it's like when the dogs bring you something that they shouldn't have but they're still really excited it's like that that's me that's you all the time and uh yeah so at at the close of the 80s is when tim drake became the third robin all right so now i'm gonna i'm gonna divert how much time are we at holy shit that can't be right that's right oh man i have a lot of editing to do plus this episode is gonna be long you know what i'm gonna I guess I should just wrap it up there and I'll, I'll just do a two-parter or more. There's so much Batman out there. But I was going to talk in depth about the 1989 movie Batman and the impact that it that had on me. Next up. And pop on culture in general. Yeah, I actually yeah, well, think let me Let me think do. of a teaser real quick. The blockbuster movie, the idea of a blockbuster movie was basically, it's basically accepted that Jaws was like the first blockbuster. Meaning it, it was the first movie where Everybody had just had to go see it. 
you know, it was a word of mouth. And but okay. however, it wasn't created with that in mind. You know, it, right. it, it was it was based on I think Peter Benchley wrote the book and then, you know, Steven Spielberg adapted it. He just you know, he wanted it was like any other movie they adapted from a book. He just wanted to make, you know, he liked the source material, wanted to turn it into a movie. Right. Right. Well, it became like this big fucking thing out of nowhere. And so. The summer, it basically, it created the summer blockbuster about two years before Star Wars came out. So that's like, that's widely accepted as like the first blockbuster movie. And then it kind of became, and again, even George Lucas, you remember when I did the coverage of that, he wasn't trying to make a blockbuster. He was right. just trying to tell his story or whatever. So Batman 1989, however, is what is widely accepted as the first. Intentional blockbuster? Like intentional, like the first modern blockbuster. But yeah, where they really were like pinning a lot of they were hyping it up and they and were yeah, really and, expecting and going out there to get merchandising and stuff yeah. being real proactive with this stuff and that's like avatar no <laughs> no <laughs> see the avatar but anyway so yeah so I, I will talk about the creation of the 1989 batman movie next week and then will you also talk about like the more modern i should ones? leave it with like a I should leave it with uh, like the way they would end those episodes from the 60s or the bat. Like Next somebody week, was always Don. in peril oh. at the end. You know what I mean? Some some episodes where they have like the cliffhanger endings. Yeah. What will happen? Stay tuned. Yeah, like that corny nonsense. But I hate that Batman, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you can't hate Adam West. I, mean, I don't hate Adam West. He's dead, right? He is dead. I don't oh. I don't hate Adam West at all. I, I don't like that era he seemed of like, Batman. Yeah, Did you know that season? super cool. Cesar Romero played the Joker in the 66 Batman. Okay. And because like I, I he was like a somewhat popular actor, I guess, before that. But, you yeah. know, he was on on the, the downturn of his career when he got offered that. So and I I don't think he really liked the idea of playing this character. So he he didn't shave his mustache. He They just had to put makeup over his mustache as he played the Joker. Because he was like, fuck you. I'm not shaving for this role. <laughs> this role does not deserve me shaving my mustache. My That's you as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. You're just like, no. oh, I have a beard down to my boobs. You got to just deal with it. Like, that wouldn't be me. It, it, but it, I think it was just a snubbing of the role itself, you know, because he knew it was, you know, cheesy and corny and stuff. He's like, no, I'm not shaving. Sorry, you just got to put white stuff all over my mustache. Go look up pictures of it. It's no, really I'm, funny. I'm all set. I'm all set on that. But that's it. So next week, Batman 1989, which means like we'll have like 12 downloads. <laughs> well, I'm going to do something next week, too. Um, <laughs> now, just to clarify, next week you're doing Batman 1989. Yes. Are you also doing the other Batmans? Like, are you going to do? Are you also going to do? I could talk about Batman for years, but yeah, I could probably do like Batman one and two and then. Maybe the week after, do like the Christian Bale and modern day stuff. Maybe if it, if I find it interesting, I I think yeah, that's that's part of our research process. Is literally it's just stuff that we find interesting. Yeah, I, I have to be into it, and I I think my my favorite Batman movie is 1989 Batman. However, I think the best Batman movie is Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. That's the best Batman movie. But like my personal favorite for you know. Uh, you know, nostalgia value or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, just dude, I remember I remember it was such being, an event. I remember being in theaters and watching it and how, the, you know, they're inside and then you realize you're inside the bat thing. 
Yeah. Like that was like a big deal. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was a huge deal. It was amazing. Dude, I would. I was eight. I this remember. was the point in 19, summer of 1989. I would, you know, we, we weren't allowed to have TV. We had the little 13 inch black and white TV that I would drag down from the attic every day after my mom left for work mm -hmm. and we would watch TV all day. And then in the morning, like clockwork during like Thundercats or something, they would play the commercial for the Batman movie. And I was just, I was so excited to watch that commercial. <laughs> it's just yeah. so, cause I couldn't go to the theater and see it. Nobody took me to the theater. My mom took me to the theater to see that. She took me to the theater to see that and last crusade. Dude, 1989 was a good year. It was a crazy fucking year. I'm, I, I just, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go into it. I got to save he this. Just saving opened, it. He just saving opened it. his he just opened his iPad like he was about to start doing research right no, now. No, no, no. I have a page open already for all the great 1989 movies. Yes. I mean, Batman was number one that year. But we had Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Back oh, to I the saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in theaters, too. I was so busy at eight. I was always at the movies. Yeah, Back to the Future 2, Ghostbusters 2. Oh, I saw that in the theater, too. Dead Poet Society, When Harry Met Sally. Uh... Little Mermaid came out that year. I'm not a I fan that. of that. But I that saw that in the theater. Turner and Hooch, Christmas Vacation, Uncle Buck, oh, Field Uncle of Dreams, Buck. Pet Cemetery, The Abyss, Major League. Like, it was a huge... Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Burbs. Like, what Holy a fucking year for shit, movies. That's like the That's the best year for movies, period, man. I feel like... You know how when you watch 30 Rock, Jack Donaghy's always talking about how he's trying to get back to the Seinfeld days? Yeah. I feel like that's what movies should be trying to get back to. We're trying that's to get back to 1989. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. That's what we're trying to get back to. All right. Anything else then for this week or are we good? I'm good. I'm done. All right. Done. We're all done. So rate, review, subscribe, all the usual stuff. Thanks for listening. I mean to tell you guys that at the beginning because probably nobody's left right now. Right. <laughs> this is the part where we just ramble and they're like, OK, we're done. But yeah, I forgot to mention it. So do all that stuff. Um, please, please rate, review, subscribe. And subscribe, whatever podcast app you're using. We appreciate it. And all merch went out this past week to anybody who yes. is a Patreon donor. So merch is out. If you didn't get it, make sure you let us know. Couple goals podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, give, it, give it a week or so. But oh, I yeah. Think, yeah. I can't yeah, remember what day I, I mailed it. Like um, Tuesday or Wednesday. It, or I think it was Wednesday because Tuesday was the day I was. I had a problem with recovery and I was home. OK. Um. So and that's when I addressed it. So. I think it was Wednesday, so they should they should be getting to you guys soon. If you don't get it, make sure you email us or you can just email us if you want to chat. That works, too. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys.